The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. He's connected. Jason Barrett says, I'd like to see you here. The answer is when, where, what do you need? Respected. He's got a long and distinguished career in the sports radio business. Truly one of the titans of our industry. And unequivocally invested. This is the place to be if you're in the sports business. He is Jason Barrett. And this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Now bringing you in-depth conversations with the best and brightest in sports media. And shedding light on the industry's biggest opportunities and challenges. Here's the the president of Barrett Media, Jason Barrett. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Jason Barrett Podcast, episode number five. I am, of course, Jason Barrett, coming to you from the Barrett Sports Media headquarters located in upstate New York. I've got a few thoughts on the recent sports radio developments in Milwaukee, which I'll share in a little bit, but anytime I'm able to catch up with Jim Rome, to chat about the business, that's a good day. We got into a lot of different subjects, things you probably won't hear discussed elsewhere. And as is often the case when I chat with Jim, he's open, candid, and passionate. I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation. That's coming up in just a few minutes. If I can trouble you to take 10 to 15 minutes of your time to share some feedback to help us improve BarrettSportsMedia.com. It would be greatly appreciated. You can find the link to our survey on our Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages. Also, a quick update. I've been asked a bunch over the summer about the BSM Summit. When's the next one, JB? Where's it going to take place, JB? I have decided on the city. I'm finalizing the details with the venue and hotel. If all goes right, I'll announce the details during the first week in September. But first, business has to be done. So stay tuned for an announcement, hopefully in the next few weeks. But that's for a later time. Time now to dive into the recent events in Milwaukee. It's part of this week's What I've Seen or Heard. Attention. Attention. Have I got your attention now? We broke the news on our website last Wednesday. 1250 The Fan in Milwaukee was eliminating local programming, which was part of a series of moves made by Odyssey as part of the company's plan to reduce its workforce by less than 5%. When I first heard the news, I, like many others, was disappointed and sad. The Fan in Milwaukee was one of the first stations I worked with when I launched BSM. Former PD Tom Parker reached out to me in 2016. He brought me to town. I spent two days with former GM Chuck Sullivan and the station's on-air team, which included at the time Steve Sparky Pfeiffer, Bill Michaels, Rami Makloff, Gary Ellerson, Leroy Butler, Tim Allen, Bart Wengler, Chuck Friedman, and the rest of the crew. Most of those names I just mentioned were still with the station last week. They were a professional bunch, yet they were still eager for input, and they wanted to do more. They were very hungry and easy to work with. I left that visit very excited about the future for the brand, but probably even more so for a few of the individuals I crossed paths with who I hadn't known prior to that trip. Case in point, when I worked with Score North a few years later, we brought Rami into the Twin Cities. Maybe that never happens if I don't spend those two days in Milwaukee working with the fan. But as hard as it may have been for sentimental reasons, there is a business side that has to be considered too. From that standpoint, you can see why the station wound up pursuing this path. 
When a brand drops its FM signal, loses its longtime leader, watches as quality salespeople and on-air talent vacate the building, trails competitively against competitors who are investing deeper in the format on a local level, and its ownership group makes a pledge to reduce expenses to try to regain the confidence of shareholders, it's not a surprise when this becomes the outcome. This brand had some talented people involved still with it, most notably Pfeiffer, Ellerson, Butler, Winkler, Allen, and P.D. Mitch Rosen, who was pulling triple duty, working with the score, the fan, and BetQL. But talent only gets you so far. You have to have vision, enthusiasm, reinforcements, and unless the revenue is rising on the local level, some of those things eventually become harder to support. While much of this news has been about the fans' local programming being canceled and shifting blame on Odyssey for pulling the plug, there's something else that's been ignored in this story that I think is worth drawing attention to. 97.3 The Game has become a damn good brand. iHeart doesn't always get credit in sports radio circles for doing excellent work. KFAN, WDAE, AM570, and Fox Sports Radio are the four exceptions. But when you look at the progress this Milwaukee brand has made since arriving on the scene in late 2018, they've shown they're here to win. The station made news by bursting onto the FM dial. They lured Steve Saban to host the morning show, hired former Packer John Kuhn, former Badger Brian Butch. Notable local hosts joined the station, such as Drew Olson and Mike Heller. Last week, in fact, two days after the fan dropped local programming, the game swooped in and hired Tim Allen. They have the Wisconsin Badgers play-by-play rights, and even most impressive, they pulled off the ultimate move last fall when they pried the Green Bay Packers away from WTMJ, a station the team had called home since 1929. You look at the growth of the station and the business moves being made by Jeff Tyler, a man who spent time in Minneapolis helping KFAN continue its business dominance, and you have to tip your cap because they've created a lot of their own success. A similar case can be made across town for ESPN Milwaukee, The brand was once exclusively on the AM dial. Now they're on FM, too. They added Jen Lotta to their morning show a few years ago, expanded the programming into Madison, Wisconsin, and in fact, just last week, announced they'd be clearing Wilde and Tausch and Scalzo and Brust in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. They're led locally by sports radio veteran PD Ryan McGuire, managed up top by Steve Wexler, who has a strong programming pedigree, and they're owned by Craig Karmazin, who's fully committed to the Milwaukee market. If that wasn't enough, because the company has WTMJ under its control, a station which has the play-by-play rights to the Milwaukee Bucks and the Milwaukee Brewers, they can do a lot to create local content around the local teams. They even had a weekly call-in last season with Brett Favre. McGuire previously programmed the fan years ago, so he knows the players involved over there. I have no inside knowledge of what they're going to do in the future, but given which talent just entered free agency and knowing how good karma has always sought ways to grow their local brands, if I had to bet, I'd say a conversation with some of those familiar voices happens in the near future. I'm sure the game will be ringing them too. 
When things go south for our brand, it's easy to look within and ask, what went wrong? Who's to blame? I went through this exact situation in 2009 when we launched 101 ESPN in St. Louis. At that time, there were two local AM sports stations, 590 The Fan and 1380 ESPN. Both talked a big game when we launched that they were built for the long haul, but we had a bigger signal long-term plan, we hired their best sales talent, and our company had greater resources and a deeper local commitment. Eventually, 1380 allowed us to talk with Bernie Miklas, who they had under contract for another year or two at a pretty good number, and once we made that addition to our roster, 1380 faded away, and a little while later, 590's owners had to sell off because the market's interest and sports radio dollars were coming our way. That's what's unfolded here in Milwaukee. One thing I want to point out, I saw a few former employees taking shots on social media at the fans' current management team. And look, I understand past situations may not have worked out. People are emotional because the station just canceled local shows. And maybe there's even some bad blood between individuals. I just don't think you help yourself putting others on blast publicly when tensions are high. Could some things have been done differently at the fan to avoid this mess? Of course. But if the ratings and revenue decline, good people exit, the competition gets stronger, and the company runs into financial trouble, this is what happens. I know it sucks for everyone who gave the roll to 1250 The Fan. It's the part of local radio that sometimes makes you question if those who own these brands truly care about them, the communities they serve and those they employ. The ones on the local level right now are going to be hurting for a bit, but at some point, they'll do what others like Rami, Tim Allen, Doug Russell, Mike Wickett, and Cliff Saunders have done. They'll move on and write the next chapter of their careers. Some may even do that at 97.3 The Game or ESPN Milwaukee. Well done, sir. As always, if you have anything you'd like to share, you can get in touch by email jbarrett at sportsradiopd.com. You can also find me on Twitter at sportsradiopd. But as I mentioned earlier in this episode, I'm always excited when I get a chance to talk business with the great Jim Rome. We last caught up in 2019 in Los Angeles at the BSM Summit. I taped a podcast with him about a year before that. He's got a refreshing energy and just a a great mind for where the industry is headed, and he wants to be a big part of it. And given his track record, who's to bet against him? So kick back, relax, and enjoy this conversation with the icon himself, Jim Rome. Yo, listen! So it's been a minute, my friends, we, uh, since we had a chance to catch up and uh, chat about the uh, health of the show, the health of the industry. I think that's probably the best place to start. How would you define the state of the Jim Rome show at this point? How are you feeling? The legend. You let me back in, dude. I started to think that maybe you forgot about me, lost my number, lost interest. Really good to talk to you, JB. Thank you very much. You know what? I, I feel good about the health of the program, but I actually have been giving it a lot of thought, right? You have to understand how you fit in, how you stay relevant, how you stay competitive in a world that's constantly changing. So I've been thinking about these things and I've been thinking about, it sounds a little cheesy, but reinvention, transformation, both personally and within the brand. So my point to you is to answer the question, I have a real sense of urgency every single day 
But in terms of content production, it's never been more competitive than it is right now because everybody's got a platform. Everybody's got a way to get their information out. There is a fierce fight to be seen and heard. So I am locked in and very motivated, but it is challenging. It, it's going to be really interesting in the future. One day we're going to have a cum of a thousand people that people say that's a good cum because there's 10 million shows out there. That's a big part of being successful. When you look at the industry right now, how do you feel about where it is versus the last time we spoke? I don't want to be that guy, but I'll be that guy for a minute. When I got in and there was none of this, there was brick and mortar. It was hard to get this kind of content. You had like a captive audience. And now you've got to find a way to reach these same people. So how do you do that? Like the show is the show and the brand is the brand. But if I keep doing, Jason, the same exact thing every single day, year after year, year after year, it's going to bleed. You have to somehow evolve and you've got to be relevant. You've got to be competitive. So how do you do that? I'm looking at industry trends. I don't want to compromise myself and be something that I'm not. I'm not going to be this hot take factory. I'm not going to be this hot take artist. I'm not going to be a guy that says shit just to say shit to get clicks and get you to look at me. But at the same time, it's got to be compelling. It's got to be aggressive. It's got to be, they have to have a reason to come back. So as I get older and I want to make sure that my audience does not only age with me, but gets younger, how do I do that without compromising myself? I'm going to do what I've always done. It's got to be smart. It's got to be aggressive. I got to be right. And it's got to be entertaining. So this is the way I'm approaching it. But at the same time, I talk gambling more. I'm trying to find a way to get to a younger audience. And then you've got to use the platforms. The show is not enough anymore, right? I can't just show up and do a really good radio show every day. There are other beasts to feed. There are other platforms. What do I do on Instagram? What do I do on Twitter? Man, it's challenging and it's all encompassing. Yeah, but you do a good job of that. Like I'll, I'll see you, you know, talking about having a beer out in Wyoming on vacation. And you'll Wisconsin, yo, Wisconsin, Wisconsin. 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 I, I thought you were in, a, what was that, a Jackson Hole at one point. But uh, I that's, see, that's where I the see rich you. folks are, man. That's where the rich <laughs> folks are. I'm Midwest now. Yeah. As, as said as a guy who sounds like he's making a board op salary these days, right? That being said, you put, your, you put your life out there, which is why you connect in those, in those platforms. Uh, you know, one other part that I give you a lot of credit for is you know, standing out in these spaces, you've got to be unique. And that's what you've brought to the air for over, you know, 25, 30 years, whatever it's been at this point. Your lingo is a big part of what's caught on. I was thinking about this in advance of the conversation. You get some really interesting people who say some interesting stuff. What kind of uh, pitches have you gotten for lingo and verbiage that should be worked into the show that you've either embraced or quickly rejected? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, it's funny. Can I go back to a point you made where you said that I've actually kind of let them in, put myself out there. I was actually a little bit late to that. I've been extremely private about my off air, kind of the way I conduct myself and my family and my friends. But you know what, though? That's part of the evolution. Like people want to get they want behind the scenes. They want to get inside. They want to be behind the ropes. So when I go on vacation to Wisconsin and I'm hanging out around the lake, I do shoot some of that video and I'm trying to be better about that. But at the same time, I think there is a line, but you got to give them something, man, because they've been very loyal to me for a long, long time. In terms of some of the vernacular and the lexicon and the lingo, you know, for when I first came up, there was this whole glossary. There was never, ever an article on Jim Rome without the corresponding glossary. It was right. just kind of what I did. Like, I didn't do it for shtick. But when I first came up, Jason, my whole thing was, all right, so I want to be in radio. And when I came up, there was no opportunity, right? There was FAN. That was it. It's incredible that there are like 
thousands of sports talk radio stations. And even beyond that, you've got every other platform. There was one sports talk radio station in the world. And my thought is, if I'm ever going to make it, I better be different. So when I started talking all this bleep and I had this glossary and this lexicon and this vernacular, like me and my boys would hang out and watch sports and we would talk shit. And now some mm-hmm. of the stuff I said in the 90s seems so stupid now and cheesy. But at the time, <laughs> it was really different. Like when yes. I saw the Knicks, they were the bricks, you know, because right. they couldn't shoot the ball at all. So my point is, I did not make that stuff up to be cute. I really just saw the world that way. And that's how we talk to each other. The difference is somebody gave me a radio program and I just did it on the air. In terms of the stuff that I can't use, you got to know your room. I'm very clear about this. You and I can have a conversation right now that I could not have on my daily radio program on CBS Sports Radio. And I can say things back on the, the Showtime show that I did with Jim Rome, Premium Cable. Like we're moving around so many different places. Know your room. So yep. I let them say certain things on certain shows, but other things they can't say. And then there are things that I can't stop anyway, right? They're going to do what they're going right. to do. And I know this. Well, you know, you guys also have really good uh, and unique style of who you choose to fill in when you take time off. You know, you look over the years. The one thing that I've always appreciated is that if you go out, how many shows, it clearly sounds like the main host is out, right? And nobody is going to replace the style and what you bring to the air, but you've put in good people going back to the Sklar brothers, Jay Moore, the entourage guys. Uh, Even now, DA was doing a show who's the morning face of CBS Sports Radio. When it comes to making that call, how, how do you guys go through that process to make sure it's someone that will serve the audience and fit what you do? I think that's a great question. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, you know, my, my feeling about that is I, there's kind of like a little Rome tree. I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but I take a lot of pride in the fact that I've got relationships and people who have come through the show, worked on the show, and have gone on to other great things. I'm really, really proud of that. In terms of who's going to sit in the chair, you know, it's funny. I had a conversation with Scott Kaplan yesterday, and Scott Kaplan sat in the chair. And I'm like, yo, bro, I was in Wisconsin, but I got to know, did you really, really roll up in shorts and host my TV <laughs> simulcast? Because for the record, for the record, I've never worn a pair of shorts to a single show in my 30 plus years in the industry. And I'm not judging. I just got to know, dude. He's like, yeah, yeah, I did. And my guys gave me shit because they're like, it's CBS. You know, you got to be buttoned up. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I want. I don't want somebody to come in here and try and do the show that I do. Believe me, one Rome is probably one too many. All right. I'm bringing people in because I want them to do their thing. I want D.A. to be D.A. I want Ross Tucker to be Ross Tucker. I want Jay Moore to be Jay Moore back when he did the program. I want them to bring the scars. You know, these are all really unique talents that I respect and I appreciate. And I want them to do their show. And I want to spread the wealth, man. It's like it's not an easy show to do. So we we are careful about who we choose. And by the way, there's one more thing. I, I learned this early on. You know how this goes. You can be the best guy, the worst guy. If you're on the air, X will love you and X will hate you and X will get you and X won't get you. I try to find people that understand the brand, that appreciate me and the way I go about it. And let's do this thing together and kind of have a, a confab or a collab. So th- that's how we pick those people. I want to ask you, um, you know, one constant throughout your career has been the smack off. And we had a, a feature on the site recently. Tyler McComas talked to your former producer, Adam Hawk. And he had a great quote. I want, I want you to hear this. He said, every smack off was a proud moment because there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes in terms of producing that show 
In his opinion, it's still the most important show of the year for the entire genre because it's been around for 30 years. It trends on Twitter and people take it seriously. So as I was reading that, I'm thinking to myself, how have you been able to make this remain fun, remain interesting, remain buzzworthy, and also appointment listening in a world full of options? Yeah, it, it's a big number. It's a big number. And I'm not going to lie to you. They, the bar is raised so high, and I'm going to shoot you straight, JB. There are years where I'm kind of concerned that it's not going to live up to the hype. You know, and I think that anybody would afford me, like, you know what, if it came up a little bit flat, so be it. You've got enough goodwill right. in the bank. You've given us a quarter century of these things, but I never look at it that way. I'm like, man, is it going to live up to the hype? Will it be good? Will it be good? And it never, ever disappoints. And believe me, there are some day-to-day shows that disappoint. But on the biggest day of the year, it doesn't. And Adam Hawk is right. There's a lot that goes behind the scenes, and we do produce that thing up. But you know what it comes down to? It is the callers. There is so much talent on that given day and so much work that goes into it. I mean, these are the best of the best. We're literally talking about 30 years of broadcasting and maybe on any given year, the 20 best callers to this show. And they know what it represents. They know there's a legacy. And by the way, look what guys have parlayed that into. JT the Brick won the first ever smack off. And this is a guy who's had a great, great radio career. Shawnee the Cowboy Nation has won multiple smack offs. He has had a great radio career. I would even argue guys that have won it that are not in the business who've gone on to other great business success like Brad and Corona could easily have careers in this industry. So how does it still work? Why is it still viable? Why is it still trend? The callers are bleeping good. One day out of the year, I can deliver, at least set people up to have great, great calls. You know, one interesting thing when you were talking early on about how you have to go back and analyze, hey, does it still work? Does it have legs? And I'm sure you go to probably some trusted people on your team. You probably talked to Craig Kitchen. And I remember in the past when you and I talked, you would go to Eric Spitz. You would go to Mark Chernoff just to check in every now and then and talk about, hey, how do you feel about the show? What could get better? Obviously, since we talked, they're not there anymore. So I'm curious, when it comes to that circle, who do you go to to say, shoot me straight? Is the show great or does the show need work? Yeah, Craig Kitchen always. I mean, that's my manager. And for those who don't know, you're because you are in and you know the players so well. For those who do not know, Craig Kitchen is somebody that I used to work for at Premier Radio Networks, and then he ran that network, and then he got out of that and started his own agency, and now he's my manager, and he likes to joke that now he works for me, which is hilarious <laughs> and not true, but that is still a trusted confidant. You know, he and I go back to 1996. I'll tell you guys, very important in my life when it comes to broadcasting and consulting and telling me what I need to hear as opposed to what I want to hear. And I want to be so clear about that. We don't want to be told what we want to hear. We want to be told what we need to hear so we're viable and we succeed. Bruce Gilbert is somebody that I respect immensely, yep. immensely. We sit, we talk. He will update me on what research he has, the trends that he's looking at, what he likes about the show, what I might want to tweak about the show. So when you talk about people that I lean on, because those guys that you mentioned, the New York guys are not there now. You know, Eric Spitz is a guy that I respect tremendously, turn off as well. But Bruce Gilbert is definitely one guy who's very important in my life. So, you know, when it comes to finding new fans and dealing with those guys and they're tr- shooting you straight and, you know, obviously telling you what's working and you're dealing with. And when I say those guys, I'm talking about Craig and I'm talking about Bruce. I'm sure both of them were probably reaching out to you on the day where you decided to go off on a rant about CBS Sports uh, 
preempting the Jim Rome show for swimming, right? And so, I'm. by the way, you were dead on. Like, there was no reason they should be putting on swimming in place of the Jim Rome show. That being said, I'm curious, when you get the phone call that day from CBS and you got to talk to Craig and Bruce, what's that? I want to be the fly on the wall in your world that day. Dude, I want to be very clear. I'm so glad you brought that up because there is some confusion. And you, you may or may not, Jason, even understand exactly what happened there. I'm going to say this for the record. There were some suits that were very unhappy with me, very unhappy with me. Here is what happened. I was not cracking on programming. I read an email of somebody Ah. cracking on programming. So then it got lifted and then the New York Post picked it up and people who I work for were very unhappy with me. And I almost have a sense that some might still be unhappy with me. I want to be so clear about this. I am so accountable and so responsible for what I say. I am accountable and responsible for what happens on my show. I'm on the marquee, but I want to be so clear mm-hmm. about this. I do not crack those I work for. I do not crack those who have other properties on the network where I'm carried. That was totally misconstrued and a miscommunication. That was not me saying, hey, man, what the hell are you doing putting soccer on or swimming on instead of me? I read it from a listener, and I think it was misconstrued as Rome is making trouble again, complaining about other programming. (laughs) I pride myself on being a team guy. So earlier in my career, perhaps, but at this point in time, the association I have with those who distribute this program mean a hell of a lot to me. So that's what happened. I want to clear that record. That was not me, but I did read an email from a listener who said it. And I think it was misconstrued. Like I said it. So since I've got you really riled up right now, I got to ask you, I'm sure you saw the LA times article last week, which by the way, Tick me off. The headline pissed me off. I had talked to the uh, writer for it and it said, uh, you know, essentially local radio is not listened to in Los Angeles, which was nonsense. Right. But I thought you'd have an interesting take because they were making the comparison of L.A. and Boston. And I know obviously your family goes back to Boston. And I know what the writer was going for, which was, hey, listen, with all this success and all this history, why aren't the ratings higher in L.A. for radio? I'm curious, as someone who's lived in Southern California, worked in Southern California, what your take is on that? Because I don't believe that people don't love sports in L.A. I mean, the Rams just won the Super Bowl. The Lakers are, you know, an all-time team. The Dodgers are in the World Series every year. I got to believe there's passion for it. Is it tied to digital consumption? Is it just the fact that there's too many options? What's your assessment? Uh, the, The answer is yes. Yes to all of that. I agree with everything you just said. Hey, listen, I want, I want to be very responsible about this because I was off the grid kind of, I don't unplug entirely, but strangely enough, I, I know of the article that you're speaking of. Kaplan and I actually spoke about it yesterday because he brought the same thing up. Yep. The same reason you're bringing it up right now. The honest to God truth is I have not read the article, but I know the gist of the article and I understand your question. Listen, I think that everything you just said is fair. I am. I have family in Boston. I'm a Los Angeles native. I'm familiar with East Coast sports and West Coast sports, and I pride myself on being a West Coast native. But the markets are very different, all right? That's not to say that LA is a bad sports town. 
It is to say that L.A. can be a front-running town. Now, mm-hmm. let me say this. I could argue that if you're an athlete, there are no better towns to be in if you're successful than like a Chicago or yep. a Boston or a Philly. Man, these people live and breathe it. Their identities are derived from it. I know in towns like that that if your team wins, you're having a good week. And if your team does not win, you're having a bad week. What's different about Los Angeles? It doesn't mean we don't care. It doesn't mean it's not a good sports town. But what it does mean is there are other options. We don't necessarily live and die with every single team. Now, if you win and you win a certain way, this is a hell of a great place to be. If you lose, unlike these other markets, the fans will not go crazy and hammer local radio. They'll find something else to do. Yeah. This is part of the reason. I mean, there's the beach. There's the mountains. There's great weather 300 days out of the year. So if you win and you win a certain way, man, believe me, things are pretty damn good for the Rams, for them to win a Super Bowl at home. The Lakers, the Dodgers, USC. It's a great place to be. It's just set up a little bit differently. And one more thing I would say, there are a lot of transplants out here, right? There's a mm-hmm. lot of people that come here that did not grow up with the L.A. teams. So they might not be burning up the phone lines on local talk radio. It's just different. But I'm mm-hmm. going to put this town up against any other town. It's the reason why I still live here. Let me ask you about, um, you obviously aren't just on the radio and not just on TV. You're also in podcasts. I checked out the Reinvention Project. I thought it's awesome. You get to do some things there that you can't really do on the radio. And you can have deeper storytelling and find out, a, you know, an education on people and how they got to the, you know, the certain levels they have in their career. I'm curious, as you've went through that, What have you learned from that that you've applied to your own career? The reason, thank you for bringing that up. The Reinvention Project is my side hustle to my side hustle. And, you know, I've always been kind of fascinated by peak performance. I've always been fascinated, even as I do sports, like what makes the best of the best the best? Where is their separation? What makes them tick? What's their mindset? But the reason I actually started to do that podcast, nobody said that to me. Nobody put that to me. And believe me, dude. I'm not making money on that podcast. I'm I'm Mm -hmm. putting way more time in than I'm getting financial returns from it. But here's the real honest answer. I hit a point in my career where I started to feel like I was in a little bit of a rut, a little bit of a rut. And I'm being really transparent about this. I'm like, what's going on? I'm going as hard as I've ever gone. I'm doing what I've always done. What's going on? And then I had a conversation with my son. My son, Jason, is a senior at the University of Madison, Wisconsin. He wants to be in the media. He saw me come up. He's not a sports guy, but he wants to be in the media. And I sat him down one day. I said, Jake, you can't, you know all my stories, but you can't run my playbook. My playbook will not work for you. And then it hit me right between the eyes. Dude, you can't run your playbook. Your playbook no longer works for you. And then it started to hit me. I'm in a rut because I'm doing the same things over and over again. And I'm not really evolving and I'm not really changing or growing. I'm coming from a place of discipline and responsibility. I'm still getting up at 445 to be in the office at 530 to be on the air at nine. I'm trying hard, but Mm -hmm. man, there's something missing. What is it? What is it? Some of the happiest times of my life and you, I think you'll understand this, was coming up in local radio, having to fight my ass out of a small market like Santa Barbara to get to San Diego. Why was that great? I had a chip on my shoulder. I had a fire. Man, I had a burn. I had this drive. I had a mission. It's all I could think about. I wanted it so badly, 
that's what was missing. When I got up in the morning, I was hitting the floor from a sense of discipline and responsibility, but not mission, not mission. So I'm like, I, I got to get that back. I need to hit reset on my life. I got to find a way to kind of rewire my brain. And is it possible? Like, I don't know. I don't know. When you're young and you're coming up and you got that energy and that piss and vinegar in your fire, of course you're going to have that. Yeah, well, now I'm a 50-something guy who's had a pretty good run. And if it ended today, hey, I did far better than I wanted. Can yeah. I really re rewire my brain? Maybe, maybe. So that's my thing. My I started the reinvention project so I could mm. learn and get some new strategies and get some new energy and kind of reboot myself. And yes, it's helped me kind of get refocused and get back on track and come at it with a different sense of urgency and not just, here's the show, let's do the show, because just doing the show is not enough. I like it. I like it. I'm talking to people that are firing me up that I normally would not talk to. That's a good yeah. thing. Well, you get to have conversations with people that won't be on the show and you learn things from them. Yes. You apply, even if it doesn't apply to your professional life, it might apply to your personal life. And so, dude, dude can, I, can I stop you right way. there? That's so huge what you just said. My thing was, if I'm going to change my professional brand, I have to first change myself personally. Yep. I have to improve my mindset. If I'm in a better place personally and I'm feeling better about me and I like myself better, I bet I can revamp my brand more readily, but I had to fix me before I fixed the brand. So yes, I wanted to meet people that I ordinarily would not meet and get some new ideas and new strategies that I could then apply to my brand. And that's happening. You've been on the national circuit about 26, 27 years now. And I'm curious, you know, with that, you've built a major brand. Everybody knows your your name, the show. That, you know, the only question is, I, I knew him on Premiere. I knew him on, e, on ESPN TV. I knew him on Fox. I knew him on uh, CBS Sports Radio. So the, the, you've hit all the, all the uh, spots that you need to hit. What I'm curious about as it relates to podcasting, you look around the industry right now and you see – Simmons built the ringer, right? And you see Cowherd's now playing in the volume. And you see Levitard's obviously, you know, building up Metal Arc with, with DraftKings. Your guy's name value is on that level. You easily could build a podcast network, the Roman Empire, if you will, right? You haven't done that or, and you haven't chose to go that path. I'm just curious, was it something you thought about? And if not, why? No, yes, I did. I did. And I, I'm disappointed Again, being fully transparent, we should have done a better job with that. I've talked about that for years. Mm -hmm. When long, 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 long before there were podcasts, we were going, I had a developmental deal with Craig Kitchen because Craig mm -hmm. Kitchen said to me, you know what? You have a good ear. You're a tastemaker. You've been able to find other talent and develop that talent. Going back to the 90s, this was the plan and it yeah. never really materialized. And I got to own that. And then even when they came to me and said, we would like you, the company, let's do a podcast. The person within the company who pitched me on the podcast said, would it interest you to have a network beneath you since you do have so many relationships? I'm like, hell yes. Hell yes. I'm all about the work and doing the heavy lifting, but wouldn't it make sense to spin this off? So the answer to your question is, absolutely, I thought about it. Absolutely, it's something I wanted and still want, but we didn't do it. And I got nobody. I'm in a place of extreme ownership in my life. I'm not passing that buck. I should have found a way to get that done. I don't think it's too late. But as you would imagine, the way all these things that you mentioned are set up, it is tougher and tougher to find that new talent. I still think yep. that I can. But yes, that is that is a regret that I have, that I should have hit that thing 
harder, sooner, earlier, because absolutely it could have been done. I remember you telling me you liked the space and believed in it. And so, I mean, listen, you've had, you know, I mentioned some of the fill-ins earlier and some of the people you've had between Vendetta, Sklar Brothers. And I look at all those, I'm like, obviously business comes into play that, you know, can people be consistent? Are they going to be satisfied doing it and all that? But your brand is really where it starts. If you don't have a brand, it's really hard to build these things up. When you do have a brand, that's your introduction into a lot of successful people. And as long as they're doing good content, then there's obviously an audience and an audience can be monetized. Content's king. Con- no, no matter what, content is king. And not everybody can provide good content. Man, this is very cathartic, dude. You, uh, your, your check is in the mail. <laughs> I, I think that part of it, something else I've learned also, you know, when, when you're in it and you're surrounded by a team and you're surrounded by good people, there is this natural inclination to think that they will present you with things. And, you know, for a long time, there was that. But you know what I've realized, too? Man, no one's coming to save you. Nobody is going to show up at your, you know this, you yep. had to build what you have from the ground up. Nobody came to you with a nice box and said, hey, Jason, here's something for you. Open up the box and then voila, there you yep. have it. I, it took me a minute to realize this, especially farther down the road. They ain't coming to save you, man. You have to do it. Now, if you're smart and you have a good brand and you have good relationships, you can build these alliances but I know that if I want something and I want to create something, it starts with me. I got to put that thing in action. The ship ain't blowing in. Mm-hmm. So the fact that that never happened, I need to own. And if I want that to happen, now I'm picking my spots. I have to decide where I want to spend my time and my energy. But I knew, I know that it is up to me to make it happen. One, one spot, <coughs> I think everybody is going to have to spend time and energy. And you already do it on your show, but it's only going to grow in importance in the future is the arrival of sports betting. I mean, we're not even at the space yet where the whole country is legal when, you know, we're going to be at a point somewhere down the road where a third to two thirds of the country are legal. And so everybody is obviously looking at that shiny, you know, the shiny new toy and chasing it. I'm curious as you look at the next decade, the next 15 years, whatever long you decide you want to continue to do this. And you look at how, Radio is drastically changing, especially in the national space. You know, sports betting is starting to hit a lot of these airwaves. And you're seeing the the FanDuel, the DraftKings, even the company you're with, CBS Sports Radio, owned by Odyssey, they're getting involved in BetQL, and that's becoming a bigger place. Could you see yourself down the road being the face of one of those type of networks where you know there's an introduction to sports betting and they've got a guy who can talk mainstream and betting? I love that space. I'm playing in that space. And again, because the show is the show, I do what I do, right? I rant, I interview, I create a lot of content. I'm one of the last of the single host shows. So how do I reinvent? How do I reinvent? What's different? Gambling is one way to reinvent. I was a guy that never really had much interest because it was so taboo for so long. And we're in it. I've had a weekly segment with a guy on my staff named James Kelly, who is very, very good at it. And we think that we do, JB. What we bring to it that we think is different, we have very good data. His numbers are incredible. I mean, he really does hit it about 60% during the NFL season. But my thing about those shows, like I really respect the guys that can do it. But I think that sometimes 
they lack the entertainment value. It's just like hardcore, hardcore gambling. Yeah. Look, you got to recruit new people into gambling. So it's got to be entertaining. It's got to be accessible. You don't want to talk over their head, but you do want to give them useful information where they get paid. I feel like we hit that sweet spot, James Kelly and I. So I am very, very interested in the space. We're going to take that segment that we do on Fridays. We are going to take off the air and create its own podcast right before the NFL season, along with DraftKings. And I'm going to do whatever I can to be in that space, do very well in that space. And that is a big part of my business going ahead. So in terms of do I ever see myself as maybe leaving the mainstream altogether and fronting something like that? I don't know that I'll ever take that big a swing, but never say never, man. I, I believe in that space. And I agree with you. It is going to be enormous, enormous. Well, listen, and I think, by the had... way, if you're not, if you're not in that space, if you're not in that space, you're, you're going to get hurt. Hey, listen, I'm like you. I, I wasn't, you know, hardcore into it. I, but you have to be under a rock if you don't realize it's a big deal, but you look around and you go, the Golics are there. Levitard is there. Stugatz is there. Pat McAfee's there. Bill Simmons is going there. Kay Adams is going there. Well, if, if that's where the audience is going to shift and if that's where the dollars are going to shift, we all got to continue to serve the audience and make them make our make our money. Right. So if that's where they're going to go, we go where they're where they're at. Otherwise, we'll be down here in this smaller pond going, wait, I used to be in the ocean. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Then, then, then we will be the dinosaur. Then we will be extinct. I mean, you can say follow the money or you can say give the people what they want. I mean, what business person would not go into the marketplace and try to figure out exactly what it is the market wants? And even better, if you like it and it's fun, and it is, as long as you're responsible about it, and I'm not here to lecture, but don't spend money that you can't afford to lose, but it really does change the way we watch games. It changes the way we talk about games because we are creating entire shows around that very topic. So I agree with you. And by the way, go ahead and follow the money. There are a lot of people <laughs> making a whole hell of a lot of money playing that game, right? You and I would be yeah. pretty foolish not to be in that pond. I'm going to wrap up with you on a few rapid fire questions in a minute, but I want to, you just said something there that I want to ask you about when you were talking about, uh, you know, ultimately the sports fan. When I look around right now, you see these tech giants getting involved. You see the betting side getting involved. And the rates, you know, you have to have probably 10 apps these days to consume different sports, right? I'm curious, just from your standpoint, when you look around with free TV becoming less and less of a priority, do you worry at all that the sports fan is being priced out from watching? I Go back to what I said before. My life was set up like I get up, I would do a radio show, I would finish it, I'd go across town, I would do a TV show, and then they had to wait until the next day to get my take on something. Man, the world is so different. You know, I wonder. I wonder about brick and mortar. Again, I work for an amazing company, and they're an amazing distributor of my content, but this world is changing, and it's changing fast, and where are people getting their content? And when do they want that content? They want it now. They want it yesterday. And they're finding different ways to get it. Like I watch my kids. They're a great barometer. I've got a 21-year-old and a 17-year-old. And I'm watching where they get their content. I don't know that they've ever turned on a TV. And, and I'm not here. Look, I'm on TV. I'm on CBS Sports Network. I mean, please, please. I don't want to get in trouble with that. I love <laughs> CBS Sports Network, all right? Please, nobody misconstrue this. And I don't want to end up in the post again. I love TV. I love CBS Sports Network. I love the opportunity. I love that I'm 
simulcast. However, I will tell you, my kids never watch TV. Here is their TV, right? Yep. That's their TV. So, yes, I, I believe in TV. And by the way, I believe in sports talk radio. I still believe in the brick and mortar. But you can't have your head in the sand. You have to see where the world is going and how people consume their content. And I am paying attention to that as well. And by the way, just like they're paying attention to me and trying to find somebody younger and smarter and cooler. I get that, too. We yep. all better be paying attention to everything. All right. So a couple of rapid fire questions and we'll wrap up. If, and I know this one's probably unfair and hard. Best all time guest you've ever talked to on the show. Not unfair. But definitely hard. Best all-time guest. You know, I wonder if it's like kind of a cumulative thing, like a body of work or the single best sit-down guest ever. That, that's let's let's do body of work because you've been talking to people for a while. So I'm sure there's somebody that if your producer comes in and goes, I've got so-and-so, you just perk up different than others. Who would that I, be? I, I would tell you, strangely enough, a guy who's been immensely popular to the show for years and years and years who always delivers is steve elkington the clones love elk because elk is very dangerous and elk is not afraid and elk can tell an amazing story and elk can turn a phrase strangely enough over the years nobody has stood the test of time more than Steve Elkington. He really, a, a golfer of all things, I know. is beloved, but I would argue that he's not your standard golfer, right? One Different future, guy. One future goal for the show that you hope to accomplish before you wrap it up one day. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, I can tell you one, a goal that I've had for a long, long time. It would have been very nice to have consistent live clearance in New York City. I've been trying for that. I've been on and off the air in New York City, I will never forget that there was a point in my life, this is like one of my favorite things, where we were on the air, so much so that David Letterman said, I listened to you, Rome, on the radio. I think you're very funny. I want you to come on the program. That nice. was an incredibly surreal moment as somebody who came up watching and loving David Letterman. However, one of the reasons that I've done what I've done and try to position myself, it's always been very important to have that live clearance in New York, in the spot where the show airs. And that's been a real challenge. That's always been a goal. Stephen A. wants Francesa on first take, already has Chris Russo on first take. Obviously, contracts make some of these things impossible. But if CBS said, we're good with you going on, and Stephen A. wants Jim Rome for a cameo down the road, any interest? Can I tell you something? Stephen A. and I are friends. I had him on my podcast, and he said to me, I'm going to tell you something, Jim Rome. I credit you with some of what I've become because I watched you on the way up. And when you, because I was one of the first ones to put him on TV, I thought I saw, and again, I don't want to be taking credit for anything at all. I knew this was a different dude. I knew this was an exceptionally talented dude i knew this was a guy with wild crazy energy like i i fell in love with the guy i loved him so when he mm -hmm. wrote for the philadelphia inquirer i once put him on the last word on fox sports net along with tom tolbert and let the two of them go at it and it was incredible incredible i hold him in very high regard so yes if he ever invited me on we are friends there's a mutual respect yes of course he's as good as there is at what he does Last one I've got for you. One opportunity in your career 
that you passed up and look back and say, damn it, I should have done it? Let me think. There's not the one show that I was offered that I said no to, but maybe some things that I probably should have made myself a more a little more available to instead of conning myself and like, man, I'm, oh no, I got it. I got it. I take that back. Famous story. Believe it or not, Robert Plant once came on my show. There was a weird thing, Jason, back in the day where a lot of the record labels were booking rock stars on my show because of the demo. I had never spoken to the Led Zeppelin front man before. He comes on and do this guy's all class. He's beautiful. He says to me, Hey, and I know he doesn't even know who I am. This is how good a guy he is. He says, hey, why don't you come backstage to the show and I can tell you some real stories that you would enjoy. And I'm like, yeah, Robert Plant, I'll do that. And then I didn't. I didn't because <laughs> it was Wednesday and I was working so hard because there was probably some Yankee Toronto Blue Jays game that I had to watch. Lo yep. and behold, Robert Plant never invited me anywhere ever again. I will always regret not taking Robert Plant up on the suggestion or invitation to be backstage at a show with him. So if you were looking for some big sports story, it's not that. It's that I did not say yes to Robert Plant. And listen, Bonehead. that's the beauty of asking Bonehead. questions and getting answers, right? You you don't know where the answer is going to go. And that's that's good stuff. Listen, I, I, I could talk to you for three hours about the business. We always have great dialogue about it. I respect a ton of what you've accomplished throughout your career. Always enjoy reconnecting. And this time, let's make sure that the two of us aren't uh, going three years before we reconnect the next time. Dude, let me tell you something. I mean this sincerely. This is not BS. I have very, very high regard and respect for you and for your opinion. And I do get a little unnerved when I don't hear from you because it makes me think that maybe I'm not relevant. So the fact that I'm still coming on your show is a good thing. Let's not wait three years because then that will mean that I am faded and the game passed me by. I do not want to be the guy stumbling around in center field or the guy who lost MPH. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Great to get caught up with you, man, and nothing but respect, JB. Thank you for listening to the Jason Barrett Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, YouTube, or wherever you consume podcasts. And to stay in touch with Jason, follow him on Twitter at Sports Radio PD or read his columns on BarrettSportsMedia.com.